I'm all um I'm I'm all in and ready to go. You? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yay. Yay. Don't try to harmonize with me. So, mm. That's rude. But our life is about harmony. It's together. Non-consensual harmonizing. Hey. Mm. I did. I know. No improv skills. Sorry. Hi, this is Cody Daigalorians. This is Neil Daigalorians. And welcome to another episode of Bearded Fruit. Yay. Yay. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, yay. Yeah, okay. So this week, uh, we are going to be talking about uh, language and coded language. Uh, and this is some really interesting stuff that I was reading earlier today. Um I read an article earlier today about some researchers in Indonesia that have uncovered something very interesting happening to language in relation to the LGBT community there. So in Indonesia, there is the resurgence of this language called Bahasa Gay, which is a basically a secret gay language with its roots in mainstream Indonesian language, mm-hmm. with just words that are substituted or like words that are created to to uh, replace other words in the mainstream language. And uh, this, this language, Bahasa Gay, is being spoken more, more prevalently in the LGBT community now. And the researchers are tying it to the increasingly hostile environment that LGBT Indonesians are facing in their country. So they're creating, re, not recreating, but like they're re-examining this coded language from their history. Yes. And bringing it back. Yeah, because they're, they're finding that because the, the, the mainstream culture in Indonesia is increasingly unfriendly to LGBT people, there's more of a need for this language to, to be present in their community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, it was like it was a really interesting article to me, and uh, I thought it would be interesting to talk about uh, secret gay languages because there are like a lot of them. Secret gay languages. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was reading this really interesting paper this morning called "Gay Language and in Indonesia: Registering Belonging" by an anthropologist at UC Irvine named Tom Belstorff, um, and in it. He references uh, the work of another linguist named Michael Asito, calling Bahasa Gay and other languages like it a cryptolect. Cryptolect. A cryptolect. Ooh, I wear one of those around my neck. <laughs> Fierce from H and M, which is a language that can be used by members of a community to connect and communicate without being understood by those people who are outside the mm. community. That sounds like a really fancy way to say secret language. Yeah, it is. A, well, it is a very fancy way to say secret language. But um, Bahasa Gay isn't the only cryptolect that um, culturally we are aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also, uh, and this this video made the rounds of the of the mainstream like gay blogs for a while. It's a short film called Polari. Polari, um, and it's a it's a short film that depicts the language a lost cryptolect from England in the 60s, 50s and 60s, and even earlier in like the 30s and 40s, uh, called Polari, mm-hmm. and it was uh, a language that had a very similar um, like structure and and purpose of Bahasa Gay, and it was this language that that gay people in uh, England used to sort of have conversations and they couldn't be like clocked in mm-hmm. public. And when you say language, you're not talking about like an actual like 
brand new language set and brand new grammar set and things like that you're talking about like using the established language in a way that's coded right yes yeah, so, well and also like in polari which um we could check ever if you check out the the, the short film uh it's it, a lot of it is sort of like uh it feels very slang yeah so it's it's not necessarily that they're using all words that quote unquote exist in the in the mainstream language but it's it's like the creation of slang and it has its own, you know, words that mean one thing in the mainstream language mean something totally different in, in this seek in the cryptolect. So and it's, it's both creating new words as well as using like innuendo. Correct. Yeah, but it isn't like you know they're not like creating entirely made up words so that they sound like they're they're like aliens on a co- on a cartoon or something. Like you, know? you, you walk up to somebody in a bar and be like Jabba Jabba Dooby Doo Bow, and that yeah. means yo want to come over for drinks and watch my etchings. Yeah, no, no, that would just be like I don't know. That sounds like something like that would happen in a Scooby Doo cartoon. Um, no, it's an X file. It's oh, a, okay, it's an X X X file. I got you. Yeah, and so um, what I thought was kind of sort of interesting about uh this work that they done that they've done around um bahasa gay and and languages like it uh is that in in his in his piece gay language in indonesia registering belonging um belsdorf uh, suggests that um on the one hand yes it is a secret language that is used by uh, a group to prevent the dominant or larger outside group from understanding what's going on inside their group but he suggests that it's something more positive, that uh, that the, the the language and the reason why it would be being adopted in Indonesia to, uh, get more prevalently today is that it is it's a means of navigating a, uh, the dominant culture, but really becoming a force of community construction. Mm-hmm. That it's about community and not about hiding. Mm-hmm. That it's about identification and being able to find other people like you. Mm-hmm. So that it's a positive, it's a building safe space instead of avoiding a dangerous one. That that is like mm-hmm. the real nature of of the, the language. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me like, I don't know how accurate this is, but I was taught growing up that like the um, Christian fish symbol... The idea was um, a Christian would uh, use like a stick and draw like the first half. And if you were a Christian and you wanted to identify yourself as such, you would draw the other half of the fish and then you would identify each other mm-hmm. during during um, Christian persecution in Rome. Yeah. Um, but again, I mean, like, I don't know how if that's just like folklorical or if that's actual, like an actual thing that happened. I'm, I was never really sure of that, if that was just a thing that they told us because it sounded cool. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that is actually... Historical accuracy. Yeah. yeah, and so what 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 um what is appealing to me about this subject and, and that I find interesting is that we in our uh in our American LGBT culture have have similar cryptolects in some degree. Mm-hmm. I mean I think there's there's something definitely to be said about the language of like drag culture and then connectively black queer culture mm-hmm. has language that, that was used in the in in like the 60s and 70s and 80s to to navigate spaces and connect and and build those communities that that we still use today yeah and well i think um a lot of the difference between um what might what might have been a cryptolext in like the 80s in regards to american queer culture versus today is that i feel like a lot of it is more textually based as opposed to spoken word mm-hmm. um 
like I'm even thinking like using like dollar signs in the word generous to mean that you're looking for somebody who will pay you. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm even thinking like things like that, or like um, like play on words that you that you don't um, hear but you see, um, which kind of reminds me a little bit of hanky code, which was a very visual coded language. It wasn't like a thing that you said to another person. It was very visual. Um, you saw a thing and you made the connection in your brain and then you knew that you could, you could, um, come up to that person and talk to them. Yeah. And for like people who aren't maybe familiar with the, the hanky code, cause we don't, we do actually have, have non LGBT listeners, well, which is kind of so, cool. Yeah. We also like, like hanky code is modestly obscure enough yeah. that even like m- among people, my generation, they may not know what it was. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the hanky code? Sure. Um, yeah, hanky code um, was slash is mm-hmm. question mark um, a, a form of cruising where you would um, there are there are multiple charts online that you can find and they all vary a little bit but you can find like similarities and and, and um, you can find um, trends within them but basically um, depending on what pocket you wore what back pocket you wore your um, hanky in and what color it was it told um, the the observer what you were looking for what you were interested in or what your your um kinks are um to a certain extent so like um it gets really specific in some cases mm-hmm. to the point where it's just like how would you how would you keep track of all that <laughs> yeah. but like when you think about it it's like you would know the things that you want right so like um like what i'm remembering um right now is like um like orange orange means like anytime anywhere but if that's only in the left pocket in the right pocket it's just like just just looking um and then like they're the gross ones i say gross i don't want uh, no no go back now and then there are other ones like um like you could specifically wear i think i want to say navy and that specifically means oral sex but depending on what side what pocket you wear it on um it determines what your role is in that um but then there are even like um like people looking for like uh like uh flight attendants and pilots Mm -hmm. Um, so like you would go to a gay bar and you'd see somebody with a certain thing in their pocket and that means they were looking for a flight attendant. And if yeah. you happen to be one, then you go up and be like, Hey there, I'm from out of town. I flew in. Yeah. Wow. That sounded worse than it actually probably was, but like it got, it gets really specific and you could wear like laces or you could have velvets and it's just this entire very complicated code mm-hmm. that was in that was a hundred percent visual yeah well and and it isn't the only one um you know it, d- during the 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 oscar wilde's life I mean, he wore the green carnation because that was that was a way that men in 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 uh in england at the time in order to sort of recognize that they were into the same sort of thing if you were wearing a green carnation that indicated that you were uh mm-hmm. you were a, pra- a practitioner of the unspeakable vice, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, this the unspeakable vice of the Greeks. Um, <laughs> well, there was even um, the term "friends of Dorothy," mm-hmm. um, because Judy Garland was a pretty vocal gay rights advocate. Like you would just um, you would you could come out to people by saying, "I'm a friend of Dorothy's." Yeah, and if they knew what that meant, that meant that they were they probably were your... a safe person. And the bear community has the bear code, which uh, like. I remember it being more prevalently used when I was coming out in the early 90s, but I feel like it was kind of on the wane at that point too. But uh, the bear code is this kind of really elaborate system of numbers and letters and pluses and minuses. That nobody that, actually understands. Let's be no, real. Well, no, I mean, I certainly don't understand it. But um, 
but it what it was is was it was a shorthand for you to really describe the kind of person you were looking for. It, it, it described attributes of size and uh, and like belly and how much body hair you had, as well as your own. Um, and it was used a yes. lot, especially in online forums where you just, yeah. you can't necessarily tell right um, what you're looking at and what you're gonna get, especially back in like the tiny tiny resolution digital camera days yeah and so you know like if you're outside that culture it would just look like a string of random symbols and it wouldn't really mean anything but once you knew the code you then understood you understood what was going on yeah so basically what we're trying to say is that there is an application process to being queer and gay (laughs) and that you will have to take a test so you better study yeah and it's harder than you need a tutor yeah, I know. They like gay yeah. tutors. I'm lucky. I got grandfathered in. Yeah. Lady Gaga released um, Fame, and I just, my entire generation well, was I just mean, immediately gay. It was that's great. That's super positive. Yeah. Yeah, and so, um, well, in doing this, it made me think about um, about this this thing that happened to me that uh, shows, like, the power of these kind of coded languages. So, uh, the what I do professionally is work, um, I work at a nonprofit and I run events. So people rent our space and we have events in our space. And we were going to host uh, a drag ball in Hartford. We were going to host uh, the House of Escada. They were going to do a drag ball there. And so the night of the event, uh, I'm there like in my gear. And, you know, I like I dressed appropriately for being an event manager. So I had my corduroy coat on and I was looking like all professional and whatnot. And uh, I was going to help set up tech. So the main guy who was leading the tech for the, for the, the house came over and and was talking to me and um he was asking me questions and i could immediately tell that he was uncomfortable and unsure like there was that there was a real clear sense that he didn't really know whether or not i was a safe person and i was accepting about what was happening in this building that i had and so in answering one of his questions i was i said my answer was like girl i don't care do whatever you need to do and immediately the tenor of the conversation changed. He completely relaxed. He started to speak to me in the same way and was more comfortable and freer. And it was simply because I use gay talk. Like I, I coded that I was gay by using the word girl, uh, which is G U R L. It's very important to know. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't just girl. It was girl. Occasionally it's G O H R L. Yeah. But in that, but like that's, that's it took one word and a whole and an inflection yeah and a whole context of meaning it tells him everything he needs to know it tells him that i am also gay it tells him that i am a safe person and that i'm you know like it's a safe space mm-hmm. that word transformed an uns- a potentially unsafe space into a safe one immediately unrelated but it was also really funny how everybody assumed i worked there Mm-hmm. Um, because I was one of three whites. Yes. Um, yeah, there's that too. I mean, other. there's that too. <laughs> it was it was really funny. They kept asking me like where things were, and I was just like, I'm just here. I'm yeah. sorry. I have no help right now. Yeah, and like, and also contextually too, that that, that as well. I mean, this was this was a the, the event. You know, the ball cultures in in well in Hartford for the, these houses where it was predominantly uh, black and queer, mm-hmm. and so uh, well black and, and Latino and and queer. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not mad. For so being we were, yeah, no, and in such a way. right, and so as as the white as the white boys in the room, we were, you know, like we were sticking out. We were the outsiders. Like, yeah, I was, I was um, sticking out a little bit because I had like my jeans and I had like I was I was like 
unintentionally intentionally lumber drag that night yeah for some reason i was like "Ooh, i'm going to go to this incredibly queer thing let's look as straight as possible yeah, yeah and so um which brings me to an interesting part of that Indonesian article, which I think will be fun to talk about. Speaking of balls. It would be fun to talk about. So what the researchers have also found about the use of Bahasa Gay in Indonesia is that the mainstream culture is adopting and appropriating it. So the language that is being used by LGBT people to safely navigate the dominant culture but also form community is now being confiscated by members of the mainstream community to use in their everyday life say that sounds really familiar yeah that sounds weirdly uncanny so here's the interesting part about why so what he's what 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 bellstore found in indonesia is that the language made the shift made the the move from lgbt the lgbt community to the mainstream community in salons in like hair salons and beauty salons that's where it made the shift and people who use it in the mainstream are mostly using it to invoke a desire for a freer culture in indonesia it's kind of a linguistic protest against the very strict cultural norms in indonesia so it's 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 less so it's it's less of an appropriative thing and more of a like a protesting like we yeah. should be a safe country. Well, I don't know that it's necessarily we should be a safe country because I don't think that the mainstream culture is particularly concerned that LGBT people are safe, mm. but they just were like, it should be freer. So I'm going to use this gay stuff I heard at the salon. Oh. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's still appropriative, but it's but that's the spirit in which it is it mm-hmm. is being um, is being used mm-hmm. and i agree it it does sound very familiar doesn't it mm-hmm. work girl fierce slay right i think you need to add more vibrato to the slay thank you you're welcome yeah it remind when i read that it reminded me immediately of how we are confiscating black queer language mm-hmm. i think um and I think, like, in, in beginning this this conversation, what makes it so hard and nuanced to really talk about is that um, in talking about, like, the major cultural icons of queer culture, like, one of the biggest figures, if not the biggest queer figure, in, like, that, I guess, quote, I guess for lack of better words, underground sense, but, like, one of the biggest figures in queer culture is RuPaul. Mm-hmm. So, like, one of the biggest figures is a black um, queer male. So, like, it makes sense that queer culture as a whole would have that slant. Yeah. And it makes sense that... So, like, that's where you get into the whole is it exchange or is it appropriation mm-hmm. conversation. And I feel like there's a bit of nuance in regards to that. I don't think it's inherently appropriative, and yet it can easily be appropriative yeah. when, when white people like us use that language but also we consume that content right and like we went to a ball and like i was familiar with what was happening and i i even though it was the first ball i've ever ever been to like i've done the research and i've seen paris is burning like other things and i've seen contemporary voguing videos so i knew what was happening and i was able to engage it and i was able to respond um even though i'm outside of that culture and it's because i consume it regardless yeah. so it's like Where's the line? Can I consume this culture? Is that okay? Should I be consuming it or should I not observe at all? But I also find pleasure in observing. Like, it's yeah. fun. It's so much fun. Yeah. Like, black people come up with the funnest things. Oh, my God. Jazz. <laughs> Hip-hop. 
Like, it's so much fun. And here, oh, like, gosh. what do we have? We have, like, what, Starbucks? Like, come on. I mean, yeah. No, I think it's, it's and particularly in terms of, like, the language of, of um, black black queer culture it's there's like two levels of a uh, two areas of appropriation is yes you do see it with like white gay culture taking on that language and and taking it and, and using it and incorporating it into their vernacular but you also have now you have straight people trying to throw shade throwing shade right and talking about oh that's people. shady i'm gonna read you and and like I, I feel totally different about that. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I've, I've. There's a part of my eyes roll really hard when I hear some straight person go like, "Ooh, I throw. Ooh, I, that. Ooh, you throwing shade? Yeah, like, girl, come on. Yeah, it, it gets a little. It, I feel the same way too, because like, at least I have my sexuality to connect yeah. myself with yeah. these other people, and that's like, again, it gets more nuanced because straight women are straight black women are part of. The voguing scene. No, that's true. So it's like it gets even more nuanced. So it's like, like I think it these conversations are so hard because there is no right yeah. answer. Well, and to be fair too, a lot of what what um like especially drag is emulating is black women. So mm-hmm. in, and not necessarily queer women, but like straight black women, they're a, like drag has kind of appropriated some of that like sensibility as its own. So in some ways, like the gay culture. The gay culture appropriated from from straight culture, and then is now getting reappropriated by by white straight people and white gay people, and and everybody is. And Judith Butler ooh, comes in the mess. corner of the room, and is just like, none of this matters anyway. Yeah, it's a it's a big. It's 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 so it's so interesting because it it, it like to to base a little bit off of like some of Judith Butler's theory. Um, she talks about how homosexuality exists in opposition to heterosexuality, which exists in opposition to homosexuality. So one has to exist first for the other to exist, and thus neither actually exist. Like, um, we are mimicking the opposite of the other, and they are mimicking the opposite of us. So, like, no matter what, there is no actual physical thing, actual thing that we can latch onto. So then it's like, okay, so we're mimicking black women, but straight black women but they in turn are mimicking the opposite of what they th- like of of a not of a masculine queer woman which is doing like it, it's just like a mirror it's like a mirror that's just bouncing back and forth mm-hmm. c- consistently and then you add race into it and then it's like another mirror yeah so many mirrors like it's i feel like it's i mean it's a really it's one of those like really complicated intersectional questions about like mm-hmm. one where does it where does it come from originally mm-hmm. and then who is crossing what line and, and we th- in in our kitchen can only speak so much to it because of our whiteness right right like we can really only have so much of a valid conversation about yeah. it and I, and you know and i think it's important to to sort of recognize that like when we are we are two white guys having this conversation we're having this conversation from a place of understanding that we could almost entirely be wrong and mm-hmm. we will sometimes be completely problematic and say completely the wrong thing that there's no situation in which we couldn't f up mm-hmm. basically and um but this is but there's something i think there's something important to grapple with the question and to like think about it and uh you know maybe maybe it's smarter to grapple with the question in a non-public way when you're not like hey everybody on the internet why don't you listen to us deal with this very complicated question that mm-hmm. we may not be supposing to to talk about but um in like i was thinking okay so in 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 
where I sort of feel the line draw, gets drawn to some degree in 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 gay people appropriating the like the, the, the crypto like of black queer culture. I feel like there's a difference between being a gay person who respectfully consumes and interacts with black queer culture and using the language because the language because you know the using it like if something is shady then i can say hey I, that felt like it was a little shady for you to do that or you know what are you are you trying to come for me are you, are you trying to read me mm -hmm. and and then there's that's different from a white gay guy walking into the club and going girl to work fierce soleil you know i mean that's like, not to say that there's he... something there's something gross in the performativeness of that mm -hmm. that feels like it's it's making a mockery of mm -hmm. a culture and a, and a people yeah um <coughs> yeah um i was researching a little bit of um katy perry's american music awards uh um performance where she dressed up as a geisha um, I was researching that a little bit and I came across this, um, opinion editorial in the Atlantic that actually made some really interesting points where this woman was talking, um, as, as an educator teaching a, um, a, uh, a cultural, I don't want to say competency, but like it, it sounded like it was one of those kind of cultural, um, competency type classes. And she like asked her students, she was like, Hey, how do you feel about this? And she did have Asian students in the room and, um, not to say that these students were speaking on behalf of their entire people, um, but the consensus of the room was basically like it was kind of gross, but also it wasn't trying to mimic, uh, it wasn't trying to mock the culture. It was trying to show the beauty of the culture. Mm -hmm. So like, still not a good idea, but like Katy Perry's AMA performance is less problematic, still problematic than Iggy Azalea's vocal performance and how she mm -hmm. raps, yeah. which she is very, very persistent on saying she finds it ironic and she finds it funny. And yet she can turn that voice off. And then there are um, black youth who speak the way that she does when she raps, who just, they just do because that's just what their voices sound like. Yeah. And they're told that they're uneducated or they're told that, um, that they sound like thugs. And it's like, like that's way more problematic than Katy Perry dressing up as a geisha. And it could have been worse. Um, but that being said, it's still problematic. Yeah. Like it's still problematic. It's still a little gross. It's still a little, please don't. Yeah. Um, but I mean like I even get that way sometimes where like I might use language and I'll be like, maybe I should have said that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, like, I even, feel that way too. Even though that's a thing that I heard RuPaul say and like RuPaul has given me permission. It's, it's like, wow, funny. It's like, it's like people of color can also be problematic. Yeah. You know? Well, okay. So like this happened this weekend, this weekend we went to the Hartford gay men's chorus, um, Yikes. show and, um, they for one of the numbers they did a number from camp and they invited a sophomore in high school to come and sing the lead part of that oh my god and she was amazing she was completely amazing i died but like my my immediate response was to like i wanted to scream out slay and i wanted to say that she had like snatched my weave and all that stuff like that's because that was just the language that came into my head but i recognize probably not the appropriate thing for a silver-haired fat white 40 year old to be saying in to public yeah like like no that's you know there's uh, to uh, be fair we were bald after her performance yeah yeah but like, to be fair she was amazing granted yes we understand the language and we understand what that means and we we are conversant with how it's used properly but we ain't never had a weave 
I mean, we have never had a weave to snatch. It's almost like and, it's almost <laughs> like um, we are so academic with it that it loses its meaning yeah. and it loses. It's like, yeah, it's coming from a place of it's coming from a place of like, Queen, you ain't never had a weave. You ain't never had it, so your weave cannot be snatched. Hashtag respect my journey. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and it, I also it was also, I also had this conversation, and we had a conversation at work one day about edges because uh, this was when edges, oh. like, uh, were when, first and like when it was first emerging in the culture, and I it was a it was a term I wasn't familiar with, mm-hmm. and so I actually asked. Well, like like um, that was the thing that I saw when Beyonce was getting ready to um, release Lemonade, and people knew that she was releasing Lemonade, but they didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. So, like, that was the thing I saw often where it was like, Beyonce's going to come for our edges. Yeah. And I didn't know what that meant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I asked about it. And it's not something, even though I now I know, it's not something that I, to- I feel comfortable at all using because it is absolutely zero part of my experience as mm-hmm. a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, although I do know, I mean, I feel like I do slay in life. So I. <laughs> And you work with an I, ERK. I do. I do sometimes WERK work. Yeah. Um, but even like like, and then there are other terms which are a lot more racially charged, like yeah. ratchet. Right. Like ratchet and I, I try to avoid racially, ratchet is like the, the the queer form of of calling someone a thug. Yeah, like it really is ghetto and, and, it's, or ghetto. Like yeah, like like it's it's it, and it's not to say that you can't use it, especially when you're actually talking about like the tool, which is a yeah. ratchet. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. go ahead and use the word. But like when describing a person or describing a thing that you find um, displeasing, like ratchet isn't the right word. And it it brings to mind when I was in high school the big campaign about trying to get kids to stop saying that's so gay. Mm-hmm. It's so similar. It's yeah. so similar. And and like like I feel like if you can if you can understand why saying that's so gay might be problematic you could probably understand why as a white person saying that's so ratchet or that's so ghetto is also yeah. problematic in a very similar way yeah yeah I think um to kind of then sort of like wrap up the this conversation about language because because uh, we're sort of reaching the end of the episode the end of um, the episode you know it's certainly there's also the a conversation in the in the culture at large about um whether or not this kind of policing of language is appropriate especially from our bodies yeah like is is it appropriate to you know like it's inappropriate you just you're just offended the 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 problem that some people have with the quote-unquote the offended um i i like i it's 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 a situ- it's like it's a it's a conversation that irritates me tremendously because mm-hmm. I feel like language it's not so much language policing you're still free to use whatever language you would like if you are a white dude and you want to call somebody ratchet you can do that but people have the right and the space to call you out for it and say hey you're perpetuating a system that is harmful to people when mm-hmm. you do that uh, and and it's that you know that, that that person isn't just being offended for the sake of being offended. They're like literally like, no, you you can say it, but it's crappy that you do. Yeah, and like there are certain things that I've stopped caring about because I realize that I have no reason to care mm-hmm. about. Like like when people use the term realness incorrectly, I've just mm-hmm. stopped caring about that because I realized like people who are immersed in the culture much more than me do that. Mm-hmm. Like um, and that it's pointless for me to try to police it because then i come off as trying to police vernacular from people of color yeah and that's like it's pointless it's pointless for me to do that like um like like there's there's no reason for me to do it and it's it's not my space to be doing it yeah 
And like, sure, I might know like the more his- historical thing, but like how people choose to use it who are more in- immersed in the culture than me, like they have priority over yeah. me just being like, oh, well, actually, um, um, when the, the term realness actually, um, the idea is that you're not actually what you're you're saying that you're serving. Oh. So like, yeah, that is me getting nerdy white splaining. Yeah, but. <laughs> No, but I, I know how you feel. Like it, it's all it, it. I find it maybe not irritating, but I find it funny when someone is like at a Starbucks and they take a picture of themselves on Instagram and says, "Oh, look, Starbucks realness," and it's like, no, that's, you're, you're that's at, like you're literally word, actually at Starbucks. So, yeah. but I mean, like it's it's also like how people freaked out over the new definition of the word literally to mean figuratively, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. and it's like it's it's hyperbole, like. Mm-hmm y'all like like calm down yeah so like in that case i'm telling myself to calm down it's yeah. not there's no point in me policing that because like, it language. does feel like realness is starting to also just mean like doing something that's authentic like you're doing a thing that's authentically you mm-hmm. you know um, well redefining realness the yeah. book by janet mock like yeah literally is her redefining yeah. realness yeah um i'm so tempted to talk about destiny's child right now <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah. it's funny you mentioned that because after that conversation, we're, we're, we're talking about this heated argument we had on our way to the, the Metro North train And by heated yesterday. argument, it's like a funny argument. No, it's, it was... It's an we were yelling I, at each other. Yeah, it's an issue that I have with a Beyonce lyric. Um, but anyway, um, it's funny because when we were on the train, I was listening to um, uh, Because the Internet by Childish Gambino, mm-hmm. and he definitely uses the word conversate at one point. <sighs> and I'm like, I think the word's ta- uh, converse. Yeah. Just say talk. Just say talk, yeah. No, but I mean, rhythmically, conversate made sense. And yeah. also, I th- he was going for a stylistic, like, obviously, it's not a word. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, and, like, is is uh, kind of, like, nerdy as I get about language, things like that, uh, like, or the use of realness. L- language is a, is immutable and, and, and it's a fluid and living thing. Yeah, and... so sometimes statements are questions <laughs> because okay, they're so, living. So, in short, here's my problem. So, <laughs> in Independent Woman, the opening lyric question, tell me what you think about me, is really problematic to me because tell me what you think about me is literally not a question. It's an imperative statement. But language is mutable. <laughs> and... and so it makes me, like, that just makes me crazy because it's literally not a Stop question. Stop trying to, like, grammar shame Beyonce <laughs> from, no, like, the I early know. 2000s. Like, watch, I'm gonna, we're going to get, like, a bunch of bees and <laughs> lemons. <laughs> please don't, please, Bayhive, don't. Bees, bees, lemons, and hashtag conversate. <laughs> yeah, no, um, but, but no, language is a, uh, um, is, is a living and breathing thing and it changes and, and that is... It, it because the purpose of language is simply to communicate and be understood to communicate be understood and connect so and you can so understand why beyonce is asking i can understand it i just don't like it um <laughs> and so you know like to, to i guess in sort of the in the big picture wrapping up this conversation uh about these secret languages and these codes like they, they exist they exist in order to do that they exist in opposition to the dominant language of whatever culture they're in because the this the not dominant culture requires some way to be heard and to be seen and communicate and to connect and um i i suppose there's something to be said that like the dominant culture shouldn't confiscate these languages and and we should be really much more careful and um and respectful but i wonder if a little bit that is just the nature of language that it's going to move from one place Mm -hmm. to another because people are going to find some reason and some use for it mm-hmm. that it becomes useful to connect and engage mm-hmm. like like words that don't exist in the english language that we just 
use yeah. um, from other languages because they explain something better than our language can. Yeah. Like things like Schadenfreude or like um, I don't know, quesadilla. But like like yeah. like words words that exist in other languages that that we use in English, even though they aren't actually English words. It's yeah. Like, do we have to eradicate those from our language? Yeah. Well, well, it's um, it's certainly interesting, and if you get an opportunity to go on the web and uh, and read the piece by, um, excuse me, Tom Belstorff called "Gay Language and in Indonesia: Registering Belonging," it's a very, very interesting paper, uh, and it also includes some examples of the words that are replaced in uh, from Bahasa Gay uh, into the the mainstream Indian, Indonesian language, and if you can also go go onto YouTube and find the short film Polari, it was written and directed by Brian Fairburn and Carl Eccleston. Uh, it's like a six minute film, and it's it's really fascinating because the language is is dense and completely incomprehensible. And we'll have links in. The, yeah, we'll link the, to them, the um, and so conti- I'm sure that we'll at other in other times talk about about language and and gay language in particular so uh, look forward to that word so before we leave for the week uh, a couple of things one we want I wanted to shout out to two LGBT podcasts that we sort of made like quote unquote friends with this week like we I well, just connected with them um, one of them is same sex dialogue and the other is the girls our podcast and um, the women behind these two podcasts were told are totally totally lovely their shows are really fun to listen to and so if you enjoy what we do you should definitely check out and subscribe to both of their podcasts they're both available on itunes uh and support lgbt people out there telling stories and 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 sharing their voice and their experiences uh, the more you support lgbt media uh the more we can make things for you and let them speak yeah let and, them be um, heard you know like listen listen to them they're they're really wonderful uh hopefully we'll be able to uh we got invited to be on the girls hour podcast so i'm really looking forward oh, wow, to being this on is it. the first time i'm hearing about yeah those. but it's going to be a lot of fun uh, oh and also shout out to them uh jen and michelle because they're getting married next week so yay oh, we happy did it first. wedding yeah we did we did the whole married couple podcast thing first yeah well i, I know yeah. i'm, I'm um and also, you can still go to www.podcastawards.com and vote for us for the People's Choice Podcast Awards for Best LGBT Podcast. Vote, 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 vote. Vote, 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 vote. That's Rihanna endorsing yeah. us. You can vote every day, once a day. So if you haven't, why don't you go do that? And as always, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also head over to iTunes and leave us a review or some stars. We really appreciate that. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Bearded Fruit. And you can find us on the web at www.beardedfruit.com. And uh, we'll see you next week. I see you sitting on your couch doing nothing listening to this podcast. Vote for us. Vote for us. And we'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs>